Amen. Thank you, choir, and uh, Brother Steve, musicians. Uh, it is good to see that again and to be grateful that we can take time to be holy. And thank you for the message in song. For seven weeks, I have focused upon Bible doctrines that are important to the Lord's church, to believers. Some, I believe, are abused doctrines. Some are uh, anticipated doctrines, such as the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Some are appreciated doctrines that we certainly find our appreciation in. But all of them are absolute doctrine. They are foundational to the Lord's church. The psalmist said in Psalm 11 and verse 3, that if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I don't believe an interpretation nor application to this verse. Well, maybe an application if some would do it, but in the strictest meaning of what uh, the psalmist had in mind, what our Lord who inspired that word, I don't think he's talking about the foundations of American society. I don't think he's talking about, although certainly what it is saying does affect the foundations of this society by all means. But I don't think he's talking about if the foundation of a uh, democracy. What is the foundation that we would be convinced is in play here or being spoken of? Well, these doctrines. And in particular, the doctrine I speak of this morning the Word of God, the doctrine of the Scriptures. The technical term for the study of the Bible is bibliology. And so this is our final uh, look at doctrines uh, this morning. I hope not our end of doctrinal study, but is focusing in a message on these. I want you to turn to the 138th Psalm. And I want to pull out one verse of this beautiful 138th Psalm, and I'm convinced speaks to our lives and the foundation that we need in regards to our Savior and His church, and following Him, serving Him, pleasing Him. Psalm 138, verse 2, the psalmist says, I will worship toward your holy temple, And praise your name. Why? For your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Let's just reiterate that phrase. The psalmist moved, inspired by God, or or these words being inspired, moved by God, the psalmist said plainly, you have magnified, exalted your word above all your 
name. I do not pretend to understand or to know all that is implied by that, by that statement. But I'm sure of this, that God Almighty intends for us to understand that He has a very high opinion of His Word. Let me make a statement, and I hope this will be the parameters around which we embrace this study this morning. But how you treat this book, how you treat the Word of God, says everything about your relationship with Christ. How you treat respectful, reverent, love, passion, to memorize it, to hide it in your heart. How you treat this book, God's Word, says everything about your relationship with Christ. If you care not for the Bible, don't tell me you care for Christ. For He is revealed in the Word of God. If you say, well, I, yeah, okay, I like the Bible. It's, it's the book that we should have when we go to the church. and all of My friend, if you do not have a love for the Word of Christ written, then do you have a love for the Word of Christ incarnate in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ? He is God's Word to us. I hope you know what He's saying. God has a very high opinion of His Word. How do you respond to it? Is the Bible just a book to prop up your presuppositions? Is the Bible just a book for you to be able to uh, enjoy when you look for something? Or is it, thus saith the Lord? You take away, thus saith the Lord, and all you've got is, thus saith man. Now, I may like you, and I may respect you, and I may be impressed by your intellect, but you ain't God. Pardon my grammar. What does God say in 2021? My friend, what is contained in this inspired, infallible, inerrant book is just as relevant today as it was when it was written, when it was penned. It is the Word of God. Forever, O Lord, Your Word is settled. It's not an evolving book. We don't have to come out with a revision to cover up some blemish from our beginnings. It is the Word of God. This volume of Holy Scripture came from God and it shows us the way back to God. That's why I say how you treat this book says everything about your relationship with Christ. This book should be read. It should be studied. It should be believed. It should be obeyed. Know it in your head, store it in your heart, show it in your life, sow it in the world. It is a blessed book 
And it is the Word of God from cover to cover, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22 and the last verse of that chapter. It is the Word of God. In 1830, the uh, New Hampshire Baptist uh, group of, of like-minded believers together, in 1830 they, they wrote a statement of faith called the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. And it was written to counter what had been revised or said by the Free Will Baptists that were taking some issues in relationship to the Word of God as well as to the uh, matter of how God saves sinners. And, and so in 1853, 23 years later, the New Hampshire Baptists, uh, Convention of Baptists or Gathering of Baptists, ratified or, or accepted, voted and agreed upon the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. It was the confession of faith that was widely used by Baptists throughout the 1800s. And in 1925, Southern Baptists had been using the New Hampshire Confession of Faith, but Southern Baptists in 1925, same year that we began the, the cooperative program and such, but in 1925, Southern Baptists wrote their own or came up with their own statement. Or rather, let me say, they made the New Hampshire Confession of Faith their statement and in 1963, they wrote their own. Let me tell you what the Bible, or what the New Hampshire Confession of Faith says about the Bible. This is the 1853, 1853 New Hampshire Confession of Faith. We believe that the Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is a perfect treasure of heavenly instruction. It has God for its author, salvation through Christ for its purpose, and truth without any mixture of error for its content. It reveals the principles by which God will judge us. Therefore, it is and shall remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all conduct, human conduct, creeds, and opinions should be tried. 1853, New Hampshire Confession of Faith regarding the Scripture. Then in the 1920s, Southern Baptists had adopted that one as their own. Then in 1963, they wrote in response to some other issues. But here's the, the Southern Baptist statement on the Scripture. 1963, again it was uh, rewritten or revised, their statement of belief in, in 2000. But here's the statement of the Baptist faith and message in regards to the Scripture. The Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is the record of God's revelation of Himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. The criterion by which the Bible is to be interpreted is Jesus Christ. That's our statement of faith. We as a church have adopted that as well. That it is our statement of faith about this book, the Word of God. 
we study these glo- the glorious truths contained in, within this book, dear friend, until we understand what the book is itself and recognize that it is indeed of divine origin, inspired, infallible, authoritative, and listen to me, sufficient for every matter of faith and practice. Sufficient. Some are looking to other areas to find sufficiency today. Some in churches, some teachers and such. So while we may have battled the issue of the authority of the Bible, I think there's still a battle to be fought over the sufficiency of the Scripture. Two different matters, but we'll get there. The reason there's a fuzziness with a lot of people's Bible interpretation is is because they fail to recognize the divine authority of God's Word. All matters of faith and practice, all matters of doctrine and conduct. And we cannot face heresy unless we are convinced that this book is thus saith the Lord. I'm not getting into the battle of translations. Until you can master Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic, do not speak to me about which translation is better in your mind. Uh, we, we are thankful to God for holy men. There are some translations or paraphrases that need to be done away with or set aside maybe. But the Word of God, I'm thankful for uh, several versions or translations and, and, and such. But Isaiah 5 and verse 3 God spoke through His prophet Isaiah as the nation of of Israel was about to go into captivity. The first half of Isaiah deals with the condemnation uh, that was coming upon them. And the Lord said through His prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 5 and verse 13, My people have gone into bondage because they have no knowledge. My friend, that's why there's bondage in so many people's lives today. Some, maybe listening today, are in bondage to sin because they have a low view of the Scripture. Some today that are living in bondage uh, in in their relationships, they can't get along with people because they have a low view of the Scripture. My friend, how you treat this book says everything about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Numerous books have been written Uh, demonstrating the divine claim uh, or the claim of divine uh, authority, origin of the Word of God, inspiration, or or the technical word infallibility, that there's no other book like it. And so this morning I want to share some things with you that I hope will help you have a foundational appreciation for this book that God has given to you, that God has preserved, that has suffered the attacks and prevailed. Spurgeon was asked once about defending the Bible when they were attacking the authority of God's Word. And he said, my friend, how do you defend a lion? You don't. You just unleash it. And so I'm telling you today that our defense of this book is to unleash it. The Word of God, divinely inspired book. May it be more precious to you than it already is. We've said already that the Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant, meaning without error, Word from God, the Word of God. Folks, either the Bible is the Word of God or it's a horrible 
evil hoax that has damned many a soul to hell. It is the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. You know it by heart. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does that mean? It means that God breathed the words. When we speak of inspiration, we're not talking about simply the writers of the Scripture being inspired in the way that maybe a Shakespeare or, or a, 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 another a John Grisham or some, some other author might be inspired to record something. No, it means the words are inspired. We believe in verbal inspiration. The words are what's inspired. God moved through these human authors and their personalities are reflected in the Scripture. Their warts are recorded in the Scripture. We'll see some of this. But listen, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable. How you treat this book says everything about your walk with Christ. It is profitable for what? For doctrine, teaching. The source of teaching that is God-ordained comes out of this book. It does not come out of your experiences, my experiences. It does not come out of your opinion. It comes out of the Word of God. It's profitable for teaching, for doctrine, for reproof. That's, you know, we need reproving. We need to be pointed out, disciplined. Well, the next word speaks to discipline, but for, for reproof, points out when we failed. Doctrine shows us how to get on the right path. Reproof shows us when we've gotten off of that path. Has God reproved you this week? Don't, don't lie to me and say you hadn't gotten off the path. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Even after you've been born again, if we say we have no sin, what does John say in 1 John? We are a liar and we make him a liar. So the scripture is profitable for teaching. Shows us how to get on the path. It's profitable for reproof or showing us when we've gotten off of the path. Then the scripture says that it's profitable for correction. It shows us how to get back on the path of righteousness. And lastly, it says it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. It shows us how to stay on the path. How you treat the Word of God, your feelings about this book, the Word of God, says everything about your walk with Christ. And so this book that we know to be inspired, infallible, inerrant, it is the Word of God. And if it's the Word of God, other books that make that claim are not. We have books such as the Koran, the Book of Mormon, other modern self-proclaimed prophets. And they should be rejected as evil deceptions. Evil deceptions that do what? They lead men astray, mankind Astray. The Bible claims a divine origin. The Bible claims to be the necessary revelation. It tells us how to get on the path, stay on the path when we've gotten off the path. And it reveals to us, listen, without this book, God cannot be known. 
Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17, make that clear. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You cannot have faith apart from this Word. It may be minute that you get it, this Word, get the Word in minute fashion. Or it may be a multitude, a magnitude of dose that the Word is given. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we begin with the Word of God in order to that. That's how we have the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This book claims to be sufficient. People are turning today. Some, some are looking for the next best book written by their favorite Christian author in order for them to grow. Spiritually, I, I thank God for godly men and uh, sound uh, preachers and teachers that, that write according to the Word of God. Folks, you've got everything necessary. All that is in this book is sufficient, effectual. That's the way that God redeems sinners is by the preaching of this book. So how do we respect it? How do we respond to it? Hebrews 4 verse 12 says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Quick means it's alive. It's powerful. If you have the view that this is a dead book that says everything about you, maybe you're a dead soul and haven't been redeemed. This book claims authority and finality. The last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, and the last few verses, Revelation 22, verse 18. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Finality. God's Word in these last days, He told uh, through the uh, writer of Hebrews, in these final days, God in past had spoken in other ways, various and sundry ways. Now He's spoken finally in His Son, authoritatively in His Son, the incarnate Word of God. When we talk about inspiration, be sure you understand that men were moved and carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. Well, I want to look into the Word and quickly this morning give you five evidences of inspiration. Five evidences of an inspired Bible. Internal evidences, meaning they're found in the Word of God. There are external evidences in prophecies and in, in archaeology that confirm that this book is what it says it is. But I want to focus on what the Word of God says. These are sufficient. One, the Old Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself accepted the Old Testament as authoritative, as the Word of God. He quoted more from Deuteronomy and Isaiah than any other books. You remember when He's tempted... Matthew chapter 4 as well as Luke chapter 6 or Luke chapter 4 every quotation that he dealt with as 
the serpent, as Satan, as the adversary tempted the Lord Jesus, every quotation was not out of his experiences, was not out of his opinion, but was out of the Word of God. Out of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus believed the Old Testament Scriptures were inspired, were the Word of God. When he began his public ministry from Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1, the scripture uh, that he quoted there that he had been come to deal with the the poor, the needy, uh, those that were uh, suffering uh, as well. And so the Lord Jesus accepted the Old Testament as the Word of God, inspired from God. Shouldn't we accept God's Word as well? Another evidence of inspiration is the uniqueness of the Bible. By that I mean the singularity of its teachings. Think of this. The Bible is totally different from all other books in what it reveals and teaches. All who ever came to this book, all who ever drank from that fountain of truth, recognize the distinct difference that this book has. This book is an account of the character and the attributes of God Himself. It reveals to us God. You cannot know God apart from this book, the Word of God. The Scripture tells us that the Lord, our God, is all-powerful, that He is holy, that He is wise, that He is just. This book gives us an account of man's origin. You see why Satan would want to attack this book? Do you see why Satan's minions and institutions of learning today say it's just a good book but not the Word of God? Because it tells us of man's origin, man's sinfulness and fall. It tells us of our sense of immortality. Man is the only creature born that realizes he's going to die if he has any cognizance of life. Every one of us, we recognize that. A dog doesn't recognize that. A monkey doesn't recognize that. You see the uniqueness, and the Bible gives us an account. The Bible alone reveals the necessity of Christ becoming a man and of Christ Dying in our place on the cross of Calvary. You don't get that from reading Shakespeare. You don't get that from other writers and such. You get it from the Word of God. The Bible alone reveals to us Christ's obedient, sinless life that He might take upon Himself our sin, die for our penalty in our place, And then on the third day be raised. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And I wouldn't know this. You wouldn't know this apart from the Word of God. How you treat this book says everything about your walk with Christ. The Bible alone reveals for us the plan of God and the scheme of God for salvation. Free grace that He would redeem sinners. God's plan of redemption through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, I would say this book and an evidence of this book is the frankness and candor with which the Bible 
records or gives us, reveals those who wrote this book. Those who recorded, holy men of old that were moved by the Holy Spirit of God according to 2 Peter 1.21. The Bible, as I said earlier, shows us warts and all. Folks, if I was going to write a book about myself, I'd just show the good stuff. I wouldn't point out my frailties. But it reveals, in, in, think of it, Noah's drunkenness, Lot's incest, Moses' anger, Aaron's idolatry, David's murder and adultery, the disciples' unbelief, Peter's failure and denial of Christ, and the strife between Paul and Barnabas. The Bible is a frank book. It declares us, uh, the, the writers, their warts and all given a historical account. So another fourth reason that the Bible is an inspired book, that the Bible itself shows us that, is the perfect harmony and unity of the Bible. Think about this. I think this is unanswerable as an argument. That no way can someone say, ah, there's no, no refuting this truth. The unity of the Bible. Parts of it were written in palaces. Parts of it were written in prisons. Some of it were written by well-educated men in great cities. Some of it was written by fishermen or shepherds. Parts of it were written during times of war, pestilence, and danger. Other times were times of ecstatic joy. Those who wrote the Holy Scriptures, holy men of old, moved by the Holy Spirit of God, were from virtually every walk of life. Judges, priests, kings, prophets, prime ministers, herdsmen, scribes, fishermen, soldiers. Yet in spite of all of these varying circumstances, all of these different conditions and work environments, the Bible stands alone. It is perfectly in unison. And it has as one central theme throughout it. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament tells us and foreshadow that He's coming. The New Testament tells us He has come. The book of Revelation tells us He's coming again. We have a perfectly unified book written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and just a small minute portion in Daniel of Aramaic. Forty different authors that lived on two separate continents over a period of 1,600 years. And yet it is unified in its purpose. If rightly divided, it testifies of one central theme, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Free of error, free of con contradiction. Totally and completely. And there's only one sane explanation for this. 2 Peter 1 and verse 21, For the prophecy, the word of God, came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Divinely inspired. There are a multitude of prophecies, I would say as well. 
that testify. Uh, every prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ in His first advent, His first coming, was fulfilled accurately, correctly. My friend, many other prophecies have been fulfilled in time and all prophecies concerning His return. While we may not fully be able to rightly divide them in this day, they will be fulfilled. It's a divine book. The Lord Jesus Christ is the central theme of this book. It's an open book. It's not written by, in the language of only scholars that somehow or another can only be understood, but it was written uh, by those scholars, but it was written as the co- in the common language of common people. It's the book for the people. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is written in secret codes. All the world went berserk a few years ago as Daniel Brown wrote his uh, Davidic, uh, or, or, um, Davidic Code uh, I don't know, y'all, some of you, you studied it, I think, and such. Not the the book, to refute it uh, as well. But listen, the gospel is not veiled in this book if we will open the book. If it is veiled, it's not because there's a veil upon the book. It is veiled because of the hearts of men, according to 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. Let me say this in closing. What you believe about this book its inspiration, its infallibility has very serious consequences. Very serious consequences. We must bow before God as He speaks in His Word. We must respond with hearts that are willing to be taught of God. We must say like Samuel of old, Speak, Lord, for Your servant heareth. The Word of God, what you believe about this book says everything about your relationship, your walk with Christ. The thoughts of man are lies. The Word of God is true. To bow to that is to be wise. Then hear and fear and do. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 19, The law of the Lord, the Scripture, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, or the commandment, singular, of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold. Yea, much finer than gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. What you believe about this book says everything about your relationship, your walk with Christ. It is a divinely inspired book. It is the Word of God. It is thus saith the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us your Word. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We have no foundation if this book is not responded to. If this book is not foundational in our lives, in this church, in our country, 
And so, Father, we pray this morning that we might have a newfound love and appreciation for your word. We might read it, study it, obey it, live it, show it to others. Oh, Father, we thank you for giving us your word. And I pray this morning, if there's one here that's never believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that they would understand that it's in this book that Jesus Christ is revealed, that we're told of His death in our place on the cross of Calvary. That's not just the oral tradition of man that's handed down. That's your word to us. That's your love letter that you've given us. Thank you for your book, Divine. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.